Well, church, I hope you felt the presence of our Father God this morning. I hope you sensed his overwhelming kindness and mercy and grace and love as I did as we sang. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Nate Bowers, and I have the utmost privilege of serving as the executive pastor here at Catalyst Church. And I'm going to begin this morning with a little bit of congregational participation. I'm not going to bring anybody up on stage like Pastor Josh does to embarrass you youth, I promise you that. But I want to ask, we've been talking about what our mission is as a church. We've been talking about what our mission is at Catalyst, and it's three things. Can anybody name one? Anybody? Love God. Very good. Nate? Make disciples and? And love people. Love God. Love people. That's from the Great Commandment. And make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's from the Great Commission. And here's the deal, church. Our pastors, our elders, our staff, everyone involved here at Catalyst, we want you to be able to articulate this mission. But not only do we want you to be able to articulate it, we want you to be able to understand what it means and how to put it into practice, both individually but also collectively as a part of the body of Jesus, as a part of the church of Jesus. And as a part of the Great Commission in making disciples of Jesus Christ, we are also called to baptize and teach those who have pledged to follow Jesus in everything that he asks us to do. Now, several years ago, I actually gave a similar message on baptism. But given some recent questions and interests that we've had regarding baptism, also factoring many of you who are newer members with us, um, and also our students who are joining us, Pastor Josh, who's on vacation this week, and we pray for a time of rejuvenation and rest for him and his family. But Pastor Josh asked me to teach again on baptism this morning to help us better understand its importance and why we practice this sacrament. Now, sacrament is just a, a fancy church word of saying a Christian practice that is holy, important, and significant. Now, here at Catalyst, when God first started this church, one of our goals was and still is to help people take first steps and next steps with God. And baptism is one of those most critical next steps we take with God once we've made that initial first step in choosing to follow Jesus and turning our life over to him. One of the best ways I've ever heard baptism described is that it's simply an outward action based on an inward reality. An outward action based on an inward reality. The inward reality of choosing to love and follow Jesus Christ in faith and obedience prompts the outward action of baptism. Now, I want you to understand that we follow and believe in baptism for a multitude of reasons based on Scripture, based on God's holy word. This isn't just some archaic religious tradition that we're blindly following. Baptism is not an optional extra for followers of Jesus. Jesus himself linked baptism to his own death, and part of the meaning of baptism is to commit us through plunging down into the water into sharing and dying in the death of Jesus. And then when we rise up out of that water, we share in his resurrection and his life. Paul actually spells this out in Romans chapter 6. And we're going to dive into that later today, this morning. But baptism is the public, physical, invisible way in which someone is marked out, branded essentially with the holy name of Jesus. Now, once you've chosen to follow Jesus, we want to attempt to emulate or we want to model his life. Here's the deal. If you're a, uh, an old fogey, 
like me. That's what my kids tell me I am. Any old fogies out there in the audience? Good. I'm glad you don't say it. You're only as old as you feel, okay? Um, but if you're an old fogey like me, you might remember the acronym WWJD. Okay, good. I see some faces lighting up. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Any of my generation, you might have some of those old uh, bracelets uh, laying around. It, it actually wouldn't be a bad idea to bring that back. But here at Catalyst, we still try to follow that mantra. We want to be as Christ-like, as much like Jesus as we, as we possibly can. You know what the very first thing Jesus did before he even began his ministry is that he was baptized himself. He set an example for all of us to follow. So we read about this. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verses 13 through 17 this morning. I'm actually going to be reading from the message translation. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus then appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. He wanted John to baptize him. This is John the Baptist. But John objected. He said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, not, not you. But Jesus insisted. He said, do it. God's work, putting things right all this time, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John baptized him. And the moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing upon him. And along with the spirit, a voice saying, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. The NIV translation reads, with whom I am most well pleased. Now, church, my dad always told me that if you want to lead, more people will follow you by your actions than they ever will simply through the words that you say. More people will follow you through the example that you set. So what did Jesus do? He was baptized to give us an example. And after he had done so, what happened? Father God spoke from heaven to voice his love and approval to Jesus' baptism. Now, my kids tell me I could probably drop the mic here, right? Or I guess I'd have to do this, right? And this would be the shortest sermon and teaching of all time. Try not to applaud and voice your approval. I'm going to keep going this morning. But I really could. If you think about it, if we're trying to be like Jesus, as Christ-like as we possibly can, and Jesus was baptized to set an example for us, and Father God voiced his approval, that's enough of a reason to be baptized on his own. But we need to look at what Jesus said, what he taught, the counsel and wisdom that he gave. And he did that a lot through his life, right? And he taught a lot. We see that in the scriptures. But I want you to imagine, if you will, you're giving your last face-to-face -face instructions to somebody important and critical in your life. I just did this a few weeks back with my son, Sam, who graduated from high school. He's going out to Yellowstone National Park to work there for the summer, and then he's going off to college. So I wanted to tell him something important. And I couldn't give him pages, right? I needed to tell him something that he would remember that was important and significant. And so Jesus is doing this now in the scripture that we're about to read. This is after his life. This is after his ministry. This is after the time with his disciples, after his death and resurrection. And he's back, and he's getting ready to ascend, to go up to be with his father. And he gives his disciples one last command, one last great commission. So we read about this in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them 
to obey everything I have commanded you. And this is my favorite part of it. Jesus promises, he says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Three things, church. Number one, go and make disciples. Meaning tell them about Jesus, about the life he brings, the freedom from sin, the connection with God and his spirit. Convince them to follow me in my way, to become disciples of Jesus. Number two, baptize them. And number three, teach them to obey Jesus' commands. Make, bap- make disciples, baptize them, teach them to follow Jesus' commands. That's a part of our mission here on earth, straight from the source, straight from Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you claim to follow him? If so, then I, I, I won't banty any words here. You need to be baptized if you haven't. That's the specific command that Jesus highlighted. Jesus wants those who have trusted him as Savior and submitted to him as Lord to be baptized. And the reason for this, church, is that baptism publicly identifies someone as a disciple of Jesus. In other words, baptism formally and publicly enrolls a disciple in the school and in the life of Jesus. God marks his people through baptized. By being baptized, we are essentially, we're putting on a jersey that says Team Jesus, If you're a fan of a team, right, if you're a fan of the Colts, do you wear their gear? Do you go to their games? Do you cheer them on? Okay? It's the same way with baptism. And that's why when you're baptized here at Catalyst, you'll receive a t-shirt and emblazoned on it, okay, says, I have decided. And the verse represented underneath is Matthew 28, 19. So here's the deal. Between Jesus' example and now his instructions, this should be enough of a case, Right? Well, I feel the need to be a little bit more thorough, okay? And uh, I feel a little bit like a lawyer on trial, so I want to put a few more up here. And uh, one of my favorite fictional attorneys is Atticus Finch. So I'm going to keep going kind of like him. Uh, Students, Atticus Finch, anybody? Come on, you know you remember. Anybody? How about, yes, Atticus Finch, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Come on, man. What are we teaching in schools today? I'm going to go off on a rant here. Uh, It's unbelievable, Austin. All right. I digress too much here. Church, the, uh, the New Testament and record of the early church is littered with multiple examples of baptism. But the most poignant and probably the largest is at Peter's message at Pentecost. So let me build this up for you. It's in Acts chapter 2. And Peter is speaking to a gathering of thousands of Jews from multiple nations, and he tells them about Jesus. He tells them about his life, about his crucifixion and his death, about his resurrection, about the life that he brings. And I absolutely love the subheading title before this passage of scripture, and it's entitled God's Rescue Plan. It says, when they heard this, the people in the crowd were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Turn back, replied Peter. Repent and be baptized. Every single one of you in the name of Jesus the Messiah so that your sins can be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for everyone who is far away, as many as the Lord our God will call. Church, this is simple. This crowd of people listened to Jesus' story from Peter and it says they were cut, cut to the heart. This means they were convicted. 
They were moved by God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, to respond. And so they asked Peter, they said, what should we do? And Peter replied, and let me read this again from verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus, so that your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And church, 3,000 individuals that day, 3,000 responded immediately to Peter's instructions and repented and were baptized. Now, I'm reminded of an old story here. And uh, just to be forthright with you, I'm getting ready to tell a corny old pastor's joke. So if you've heard it before, just chuckle politely at the end of it and make me feel better about things. But I'm reminded of an old story about an older lady who went to a church service and she heard a similar message preached on Acts 2.38. And when she got home from her church service, she walked in her door and she noticed a stranger in the back and she figured out it was a burglar and he was robbing her. So she got on the phone real quick, called up the police, and then probably in an unwise manner, she went to confront the man. She walked into the room, and the guy had two armfuls full of her stuff, and she shouted at him, stop, Acts 2.38, which as we just read means repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of enough, the burglar dropped her stuff and fell to his knees. Moments later, the police arrived, and they handcuffed him, and as he was taking him out, one of the officers had heard what the old lady had done, and she said to him, dude, why did you just stop? You could have ran away. You could have gotten away with her stuff. All the old lady did was yell a scripture at you, and the robber responded, scripture? The lady said she had an axe in 238s. <laughs> an axe, 238s. I know, it's not funny if I have to explain it. Thank you for your laughter. Thank you for your laughter. Now, church, amazingly enough, I am one of those individuals who actually enjoys arguing. I actually enjoy debating. I actually enjoy sometimes even having a heated discussion. This isn't part of my uh, favorite pieces of my personality, according to my wife. But to be honest, I've really never understood um, discussions or theological debates around baptism. I've heard some questions, though. Is it really necessary to be baptized to get into heaven? Isn't accepting Jesus into my heart good enough? I was baptized as an infant by my parents. Does this count? What if I'm on my way to get baptized and I get in a car wreck? Or what even if I'm walking up the steps of the baptistry and I fall and trip and hit my head, et cetera, et cetera? Well, church, first and foremost, I believe we follow a just God. And he'll make all the right calls in this regard. Take, for example, the case of the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. But instead of diving into the deep theological principles behind baptism, mostly I just respond to these questions with another question of my own. I ask why. Why are you asking these questions? What's the purpose? Why are you trying to find a loophole? Let's take out of the equation Jesus' example. Father God's approval, his specific instructions in regards to baptism, which again, from my perspective, are enough reason to make the case to be baptized. But church, Peter, Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, he was his lead disciple, the rock, the one he said he would build the church around, gave instructions and laid it out any clear. What should we do? Repent, meaning ask for forgiveness, turn to a different path. Ask Jesus to be the leader of your life. Allow him to rescue you and then be baptized. 
Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, a few years back, and it's probably been more than a few years now, uh, since my daughter Mia is now getting close to uh, her teenage years. Time flies when you're an old fogey. Um, but she was about eight at the time, and she came to me and she said, Daddy, I want to be baptized. Now, we had studied the scriptures together around baptism, and she'd also received some instruction from our great Catalyst Kids area. They were talking about baptism, too. But I was a little concerned. I was a little concerned she might be too young to really understand what she was doing. So I asked her, I said, Mia, can you articulate, can you tell me why you want to be baptized? You know what she said to me? She said, Daddy, I want to follow Jesus and receive his spirit. And I want everyone else to know that as well. Can you think of a better reason? Wisdom from the mouths of babes, right? I love how N.T. Wright summarizes this passage of scripture. He says this. What we are witnessing in this passage is the beginning of the Christian theme called salvation. It isn't simply about going to heaven. Though, of course, it includes that promise. But beyond that is the resurrection into God's new creation and rescue within our present lives. What God promised for the ultimate future has come forward to meet us in Jesus right now. We should remember this. We are turn back and be rescued people. We are repent and be baptized people. And we have the right, the birthright, to cash in on that promise at any place and any time. No wonder 3,000 people signed up that very day. Church, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. It really is as simple as that. Now, here at Catalyst Church and in the Church of God, we perform baptism through immersion. And again, we don't just simply do this because of tradition, but because we are attempting to follow Scripture. The Greek word baptizo, on which our word baptize is based, means to dip or plunge something completely into a liquid. And the New Testament examples of baptism imply that they were done via immersion. And also, Pastor Josh loves to uh, jokingly refer to our baptismal over here as a coffin. And we chuckle at that a little bit. But it's actually, it's an apt metaphor. Because baptism by immersion best fits the imagery of our union with Jesus in both his burial by going down into the water and then his resurrection by rising up out of the water. Several New Testament writers, both Peter and Paul, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, even link water baptism as a part of God's rescue story of humankind to major redemptive events in the Hebrew Bible, such as Noah and also in the Exodus story. Church, remember what the scriptures are? They're one unified story designed to do what? Point us straight to Jesus. Paul lays this out for us in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and this is what he says. What are we to say then? Shall we continue in the state of sin so that grace may increase? Certainly not. We died to sin. How can we still live in it? Do you know that all of us who were baptized in the Messiah, Jesus, were baptized into his death? This means we were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as the Messiah was raised from the dead, through the Father's glory, we too might behave with a new quality of life. 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be raised together in the likeness of his resurrection. Now again, church, here in Romans 6, Paul describes how you and I as Christians come through the water of baptism, similar to the Jews in the Red Sea, and we thus leave behind the land of slavery, as the Jews did with the Exodus, and now enter into a new freedom, as the Jews did with the Promised Land. Paul, however, highlights this differently. He highlights this as the ultimate freedom, the liberation of the entire world from sin, from corruption, from death. And he tells us that our baptism in this way means that we don't continue in our old ways. Literally, our own wants, our own desires, our very identity in and of itself is not our own anymore. It was buried with Jesus. When we submit to and we follow Jesus in faith and via baptism, we die with Jesus. But here's the best news, church. When we rise up out of that water, we are free. We are free from that sin and corruption and death. And we are now raised with him in a new and in a different life. Because our life is now his. Church, this means first and foremost a change in our status. We are no longer located in sin. God's grace has met us there. Not in order to tell us that we can keep sinning or that we were okay as we once were. But in order to rescue us and take us someplace different, someplace else where we can now have true life. Paul uses the image of planting as in a tree or a shrub. And once you've been transplanted into new soil, that is where you must grow. In baptism, we are planted again in the death of Jesus in order that we may now truly live as a renewed human being, the way we were designed to originally, planted and growing again in his resurrection life. Now, Dr. Jason Varner is going to teach next week, and he's going to follow up and continue upon my message today. But our new identity, our new life, is Jesus himself. And Paul tells us this throughout the New Testament. But one of my favorite sections where he talks about this is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. And again, I love the message translation here, so I'm going to read from that. It says, now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with Jesus gets a fresh start, is created new. The NIV translation tells us that we are new creations. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. Look at it. All of this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then calls us to settle our relationships with each other. Love God, love people. God put the world square with himself through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins. And God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We are Christ's representatives. Go, therefore, and make disciples. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. So church, I would urge you today, if you haven't accepted your inheritance yet, if you haven't accepted your inheritance as sons and daughters of the most high king of kings, this is the same God who Jesus tells loves us so much that we should refer to him as daddy. Choose to follow Jesus and accept today not only your eternal salvation, 
but the life of the kingdom that he promises to bring you right here and now. Turn your life over today to the one who will bring you true freedom, true hope, joy, peace, and life. And if you've already done this, but have yet to take the next step of public baptism, then I would urge you to do that too. And I would even ask, what's holding you back? Follow Jesus' instructions. Follow his example. Follow Peter's instructions in the example of the first Christians at Pentecost. And know that when you do this, Jesus promises this, I'll say this in Matthew 10, 32, that whoever acknowledges him before others, Jesus is also going to acknowledge you before his Father in heaven. Church, I'm going to begin to wrap it up here, but I want to say this first, and it's important. If you're an adult who professes a faith and relationship in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, I want to tell you there's no judgment in this. There's no stigma associated with this, and most importantly, it's not too late. My stepfather is here with us this morning, and I'm glad he is, and he's got an awesome story. You should ask him about it. But he was baptized as a 70-year-old man in the ocean. It's pretty cool. Diana Frank, I know she's not going to be happy with me pointing her out, but uh, my close family friend and uh, one of the members of our staff here, uh, Diana followed Jesus her entire life, but she had never been baptized. And here at Catalyst, she came forward and made that public profession of faith here in front of her church family. And you know what's really cool? Is that since that, all three of her children have done the same thing. Back in March, we had a baptism service. And two adult men, Rusty and James, and I've really enjoyed getting to know them, but also seeing Jesus, the power of Jesus work in their lives, came forward and were baptized right here. And you know what's really neat? Is immediately after that service, Pastor Josh and I both had several individuals come up to us and tell us that their public testimony prompted them to come and ask us when they could be baptized. So we had to hold a special baptism service a few weeks later that wasn't even scheduled. And we had 14 people baptized that very day. I got to see Jeremy Bolin that day baptize his daughter Madeline. Jeremy was baptized right here at Catalyst about five years ago. Church is a powerful public testimony. We celebrate baptism here at Catalyst, and we're going to be holding a baptism service a few months from now on August the 27th. We're also going to be holding a baptism class the week prior on August 20th. Uh, I'm going to be teaching that class for the adults and the, the youth, and Heather Webster, our kids director, is going to be teaching for our elementary students. Um, there'll be stuff coming out in our eBurst to sign up for that, but also if you're interested, come talk to me or Pastor Josh or any of our elders, and we'll make sure that we get you signed up. Or if you want to be baptized, but man, the 27th just doesn't work for you, just let us know. We can set up our baptismal at any time in any place, and we want to celebrate you with you and your church family. Or if I need to, I'll volunteer uh, my next-door neighbor's pool. It's uh, Chad and Diana's pool. And uh, I just go over there and enjoy it and swim, and they pay for it and maintain it. It's a great working relationship. So if you can find somebody like that, two thumbs up. Um, I've also experienced baptisms in rivers. I just talked about the ocean and lakes and ponds. Uh, our pond out back there has a healthy population of bullfrogs, so we probably won't use that one. But here's the deal. We will make it happen in one way, shape, or form. I promise you. Now, coming back to Mia, one of my daughter's favorite Bible stories is from Acts chapter 8. It's where Philip comes across an Ethiopian traveling along the road. 
and he shares the good news of Jesus with this Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian, as they come along, they see a body of water. And the Ethiopian says, look, there's some water. What is to prevent me or stop me from being baptized? So they go down into the water, and the Ethiopian was baptized. And then scripture tells us that the Ethiopian went on his way celebrating and rejoicing. N.T. Wright again offers a brilliant commentary here. He says, no wonder the Ethiopian wanted to share in the death and resurrection of this Jesus by being baptized, by having the whole story become his personal story. I absolutely love that. The whole story become his personal story. No wonder he went on his way celebrating. Now, church, some of you may be feeling God nudging you right now. You may be feeling that calling in your heart to respond. And maybe you're nervous. Maybe the enemy is actually whispering in your ear that this isn't that big of a deal or to put it off or you can do it again later. Well, church, I pray against that specifically right now. I ask God to block the enemy's voice from you. And I ask instead that God give you the same bravery, the same courage that he gave Jesus when Jesus went to the cross. When he said to the Father, not mine, but your will be done. When Jesus went to the cross and he died in one of the most humanly painful ways possible, and you know why he did it? He did it because he loves you. He did it because he loves you so very much that he wanted you to be reconnected and reconciled with God and his spirit. He wanted you to know true life, not the fake life, but the real, true resurrection life of his kingdom. Church, respond to his calling. Follow his instructions. Repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be welcomed into God's family as his sons and as his daughters. Receive the plentiful and rich life of his kingdom that Jesus promises to us all. Church, remember, we are turn back and be rescued people. We are repent and be baptized people. And when we in repentance and in faith choose to follow Jesus via baptism and then into his new life, we will find if we listen that that same voice from heaven speaks to us right now. And as we learn to put aside our own plans and instead submit to his find that God grants us moments of vision, glimpses of his greater reality. And at the center of that, we will find our loving Father affirming us, not only as his children, but equipping us too with his spirit, his Holy Spirit, so that our lives may be swept clean and may be ready for his abundant life and purposes, both now and forevermore, church.